Hello and welcome to Veteran State of Mind. I'm Garen Jones. With me today, Alex Jones, not to be confused with the Alex Jones of InfoWars. <laughs> this man here, he's a lot more handsome. Probably a little bit, little, no, mate, I was going to say more level-headed. Don't know about that. Yeah, probably not, no. So last time I had you in, mate, we were having a chat about Afghan. Yeah. Having a chat about our tour there in 2009. Just to give people a little recap, Alex was a bit slow moving around, <laughs> got shot in the neck. Um, and that's about as far as we got last time before we decided that we needed a bit of decompression. We, we fucked off and went to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> so let's pick, pick it up where we left off, mate. So run us through what, like, let's run us through the moment you got put on the Pedro, which is the American uh, Air Force, um, the, like the casualty evacuation helicopter. Run us through what's going on at this it, point. It was the Mert that was put on, actually, the British you were on one. The Mert, yeah, you? it was the British. Oh, British I, must say, I, got, I got to make an edit in my book now. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I, uh, I it's, it's it's quite surreal, really, when you get put on there. Um, I was on the stretcher, so they sort of hoofed me onto onto the mert, and immediately as soon as you got on there, there's there's sort of four doctors on there. Um, or I, I should I assume they're doctors anyway because they're they're quite well drilled. Um, obviously with the casualty rate in in Afghan, I suppose. It's, yeah, unfortunately, it's, there's a lot of on the job. Yeah, and they're very good at what they do. So yeah, I sort of wheeled me into into the back of the mert, chucked me down on the floor, and straight away they started getting to work with me. I had one of them sort of dealing with my wounds on my neck. Another one was putting an IV in me. Um, another one was cutting all my clothes off, which was not great since I didn't have boxes. Was that part on. of the treatment or was that just for, you know, fun? Yeah, I think just a bit of fun because yeah. they knew they was going <laughs> to have to wheel me into Bastion <laughs> into, the, into the field hospital. Bollock naked, so yeah, it was interesting. I went my Wait, best. Was, was, there any, was there anyone else on there? Because I've heard before about lads getting on the mert, and it's it's like a bus. You're getting on there; it's already packed with other blokes. With no, it was bits, you know, there, there was just literally just me on there. From what I can remember, anyway, it was a bit bit of a bit bit sort of hazy at this point because the other doctor, what I found out later, was was sort of pumping me with ketamine. Now um, I don't know what ketamine is. Can you explain to me what ketamine is? Um, I I'm, I know I know it's uh, it's quite a popular drug these days. But why anybody would want to take it to go out and, and party is beyond me because I <laughs> it's sort of because it's cheap. <laughs> yeah, it it it, uh, it, it I I won't lie. It was absolutely amazing because I, I not I wouldn't disclaimer. We are not condoning the use of ketamine. No, absolutely not. Unless you got a gunshot wound. Don't do drugs. Um, Stay off drugs, kids. But yeah, it, it was it was great. I, I wasn't in you know a massive amount of pain anyway. But I think it's just sort of standard protocol that you know if somebody's got a wound like that, then they they, they give them bunch pain, of, pain relief, bunch of rhino cat. Yeah, <laughs> um, which was great. Then you know, uh, and that was it. Then I like sort of that after that. Then it was a bit hazy. I remember getting to Bastion. We landed. Um, and I, at this stage, was was naked on the stretcher. Uh, so, we're a- absolutely bollocker. Yeah. So, out, and but you were out of it. So, uh, yeah, I was it sort of in and out. But they, uh, they, <laughs> don't know, like one of those, um, like tin foil. Oh, like blankets. you get at the end of a marathon. Yeah, yeah. They they'd sort of chuck one of those over the top of me and. They'd crashed out all the the IRT team then in in Bastion as well. So ev- literally everybody, you know, I mean, you'd had obviously all they did to come over the net was cut a uh, yeah. gunshot wound to the neck. Oh, um, so you can imagine at that stage, then everybody was sort of crashed out waiting for me to come in. 
Uh, so there was there was a big crowd outside, <laughs> <laughs> outside Bassing Bassing Field Hospital, and as they were wheeling me in, you know, a bit of wind and stuff like that. The the uh, yeah, this this tinfoil blanket didn't last long, so it was waving around, and I was uh, <laughs> cock out, yeah, in all my glory, not at my best as well. Well, I mean, the thing is, mate, you, you know, it's probably getting shot in the neck is not going to give you a nice wind on, is it? No, exactly. So yeah, <laughs> right. That's pretty horrific. I think we can probably wrap it up there for a day now we've traumatised everyone. I know, yes. But let's let's crack on. So uh, what was the, the hospital experience like for you? I mean, it was it was brilliant. It was like they're so well drilled in there now because, like I said, the casualty rate in there, they, they, they've got it down to a T. So I went in straight away. Um, immediately as I got into the field hospital, there was a sort of American surgeon guy there and he came up to me and he was like, we need to get you into get your neck sort of scanned to see the extent of damage. Um, I went in, had that, had a CT scan on my neck, uh, and it was this was in the matter of minutes. It was sort of in CT scanned. They had a look at it. He came up to me and he was like, you're one lucky guy. Like, we need to get you into into surgery straight away. And I was it. That's that's all I, all, all I remember, really. Next thing I knew, I was on the operating table, all, again, within probably about 10, 15 minutes within being wheeled into into Bastion off off the moot. Uh and I woke up then some some hours later on on the ward having having had surgery. I think we are all in agreement on this anyone who's been out there is that the surgical teams the medical teams the hospital staff in our place are you know the most professional fucking hard working caring people probably yeah. on the planet probably as as far as experts and masters in their craft go. You know, it's unfucking believable what they do from the moment, like the Mert, you know, and like, and like the unfortunate thing is, as you say, is there's a lot of practice by that point. Yeah. Um, I remember putting somebody onto the Mert once and you, you're putting them on and you're there, they've got packs of stuff ready to go to replace all your, um, all, all the tourniquets or field dressings that you use. You know, you're getting these pre-packed things coming off, you're getting a stretch, like all these little, these little details that have been honed over, you know, um, you know, years and there's the, the special forces guys on the on the the back of there, and you know, these surgeons who some of them are TA. I know have come over from the TA, and you know these these people are just incredible. What they do, they're the best in the world at what they do. You know, they really are second to fucking none. And you know, I both I think both of us have issues when it comes to some things in, about how we were equipped and how some things were done. But I think one thing we can't find issue with is. The, the Mer teams, the IRT, the hospital, I mean, those guys are just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I heard of one case where they actually removed someone's spleen on the back yeah. of the, the Mert, yeah. one, one of our guys in the previous tour. Yeah, died. I think he died on the Mert and they brought him back. Yeah. And they brought him back. Kept. So, like, just put this into perspective. Somebody dies in the back of a helicopter and they're able to bring him back to life, keep him alive, operate on him pretty much in, like, in fuck, on a fucking helicopter. Um, I mean, the I mean, mate, I find it hard to text it, um, text it from sitting in the back of the car. Yeah. Like, let alone operate on somebody. So fucking amazing, and uh, thank you to anybody involved in that process. You know, yeah, thank you. Um, so, what's it like being on the ward? Was because I imagine that's a pretty busy place at the time. Yeah, I mean, you got a mix on the ward, really. Um, at, at at that time, it was it was quite um, casualties that time of the year of the of of afghan the campaign as a whole was was really bad um it was the bloodiest the bloodiest year for for casualties the bloodiest summer indeed 
as well. So and this is the, this was um, back end of August two thousand yeah, summer two thousand nine. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of um, a lot of casualties on there uh, from from from. It was. I mean, you got you got Americans on there. You get uh, you got A and A on there as well. You got some. So that's the Afghan around. National Army. Yeah, I mean, I I, um, I don't know what, what what's the case with because people might not know this, but if you get wounded Taliban, you and that they that fall into your hands, then you are obligated to um to give them treatments and send them back as well. So you can have um Taliban on. Yeah. I don't know, but how, how are they? Are they on the wards or are they in a separate place? Or um, how does that work with them? I didn't have any any sort of um, Taliban on on my ward, but I've heard of stories where they have had. I mean, obviously, the the field hospital itself is not massive, and no. with the, the amount of casualties, then it will happen. You will get Taliban mixed in with with. I'd be a bit fucked up when I'm waking up to the waking up to a, a Taliban from yeah. the same contact. So I'm sure it's happened to somebody. Um, so what 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 was the next stage? How long were you on the ward for, and what what kind of went on from there? Uh, well, I was on the ward for oh God. I think I was on there for a um a good. A good few days, if I remember correctly. But initially, when I come back around from the surgery, um, I'd had, I'd, I'd hadn't even realised because all the, the drugs and the 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 um, anaesthetic, uh, anaesthesia, and stuff like that. Um, anaesthesia is that the right word? I don't look. Do I look like I'm a fucking machine gunner, mate? They won't trust me with a scalpel or anything. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> one. <laughs> but. <laughs> Um, anyway, all all, all of the the cocktail of drugs that I'd added me, uh, I didn't really know what had happened. So I sort of come round and was sort of in my head. I was I don't know. I just want to jump in one sec while I remember this. If there's anyone out there listening that's been involved in working on the hospital side of things and would like to be a guest on the show, please get in contact because I would fucking love to 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 dive more into this. I mean, but Alex, you you'll do for now. So <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, it's it's busy. I come round and I was sort of, what the hell has happened? Where am I? What's going on here? I, you you know, you get dragged straight out from uh, the middle of a fucking ambush, and the next thing you know, you're in a hospital bed surrounded by. At the time, was some pretty good looking um, Danish nurses. Oh, so, the Danish nurses, yeah. mate, motherfucker. Yeah. So yeah, I was still trying to sort of wrap my head around what happened, and then I had the the sort of I don't know a consultant come up to me, and they were explaining to me that I'd need further surgery. I'm I'm having a hard time concentrating now because you brought up Danish nurses. If there's any Danish nurses listening, please come on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Alex needs his neck check. <laughs> yeah, but in in all fairness, they were absolutely fantastic. The, the nurses in there, the the doctors, all of them, they 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 were brilliant. Um, and they obviously informed me then that I'd, I'd need further further surgery, which I would have had in, in the UK. Yeah. But then later on, they had the option of sort of, they come up to me and they was like, you can have it. Yeah. There's obviously higher risk of infection and, and so on. So then, yeah, I chose to chose to have it, have it done. And why was that? Because, well, I, I wanted to get back. And so, if you went home, was that it? Index not going. Yeah, back on my, the ground? my way of thinking was, if I'd gone home to have the the, the next set set of surgery in the UK, then I wouldn't have come back out. It, mm-hmm. That would have been the end of the tour for me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very hard to get out sent out to the company once the company's already out. And yeah, and I'm rolling. And plus, I would have been in in I don't know whatever hospital in the UK for for probably would have got you probably would have had MRSA and dead be dead. Yeah, right pro- probably. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I'm joking, people listening from the NHS. Don't get your knickers in a twist. Yeah. So I um yeah, I wanted to get obviously get back up with the guys and stuff, so Um yeah, so we were t- we were talking the other day, mate. Um we were talking the other day about um how it felt. So when I was on my first tour, I'm not gonna go into the first tour too much here, but all you need to know is I felt like I was on the sidelines for the, a lot of that tour. Yeah. And knowing that there's units, other, and these weren't even, some of my friends were involved, but mostly these are strangers. But even so, seeing them from the sidelines and these big fucking contacts and seeing everything that was going down in Basra and being on the sideline for it and trying, 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 trying to get moved to a different unit so I could actually be involved. It's weird. It's like, it sounds mental, but it's actually, was that's one of the most worst experiences of my life. Um, and just thinking about it now, I want to, fucking smash this coffee cup over your head because <laughs> yeah. it still fucking pisses me off mate because that's not if you're a fucking infantry soldier you do not want to be on the sidelines you want to be in the middle and and you might regret that later but at the time you fucking 100 percent want to be amongst him um so i can only imagine what it must have been like knowing that your fucking mates are on the ground really as far as distance goes not actually that far away no um so tell us talk us through what you're doing because you told me something the other day that i didn't know which i found really kind of interesting <laughs> Oh, sorry, sorry, man. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I was in the hospital for a, for a, I think altogether about a week, and I, I had the second set of surgery then. Um, uh, and obviously after that, I was I had to have regular visits to the the hospital. I had to have my wounds checked. Um, I had to have physio and things like that. So I was stuck in Bastion then for it must have been about. Eight or nine weeks, maybe. So wow, well. and yeah, a long time. Um, it is a long time. It, it may not sound long, but when you you know, oh you mate, it's a, it's a long fucking, it's a long time. Yeah, I mean that's a third of the tour, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and it's you know it's pretty that time of year as well. It's pretty kinetic that time of year. Pretty lot going on in like September, August. Yeah, those kind of months. Yeah, so um, during that time, then obviously, I had to do sort of radio stags and, and, and things like that. So how it works there is each sort of unit has their their HQ uh, in Bastion. And they've got, it's just like a computer. I can't, can't really remember what it's called, but all the sort of contact reports come up on the computer. And you've got to obviously watch them and keep an eye out then for any contact reports that's going on with your unit and, and, and things like that. Right. So, yeah. I basically had to sit there in in the evenings when it was my my rotation to do it, and basically watch coming up on the screen all the contacts that you guys were having up in up in Musakala. Yeah, um, and yeah, well, that must have fucking sucked. Soul destroying. So, and um, what we were just thinking the other day, we were just thinking like. Again, we've we've touched on leadership and stuff before, and neither of us are saying that we are a word the greatest leaders. We've just we were just talking yesterday about how much we've learned since leaving the army mm. about leadership and how much we wish we knew before. But what I would say is like if you're ever in a position where you have troops who are injured or convalescing or, you know, or are not with the main body for any reason, think about the effect that the actions that you're giving them is going to be doing. So if you know that one of the lads wants to be out there scrapping with his mates, it's probably not like someone's got to do the job. I understand that, but it's maybe think that it's not the best idea to have him be the one that's having to wait for the contact reports to see. Cause you, I, I've, I, 
I've had it before where I've had mates on tour where I've not been on tour where they've gone away with different units. Um, and like when you're back in the UK, you're fucking, you're fucking worried. And so like being on the ground and knowing it's your close mates and stuff, you know, that's, there's, um, I, I think that there's definitely something to be said for if somebody gets, somebody gets injured and you don't need to send them home. I think it's a good idea to keep them close and get back, get them back in as, as quickly as possible. But I do think that if you're going to be looking at more than like a couple of weeks, going back to the UK is probably the best thing at that point. Because like being in the middle is like being in purgatory. It's like you're not at home, so you haven't got the comforts of family and stuff at home, but you're not with your family on the front line either. So I, I think that if it's going to be any longer than that, then it's a it's a good idea for people's you know mental mental health, mental well being to to get them just you know take them go to one end or the other. Don't keep people in the middle dangling because just put it in terms of like relationships and stuff like that, where people have problems with relationships. It's not when things are going really well and it's not when things are going really badly. It's when there's ambiguity and stuff like that in the middle and you don't know what's going on. I mean, that is true for a lot of things in life. If you, if it comes down to uh, your finances or relationships with family, girlfriend, boyfriends, whatever, you know, and, and I imagine it's a very kind of similar similar feeling, was it? Yeah, it was definitely. I mean, not only that, but I was, when you, you're stuck in Bastion as well, there's not really much else I could do, to be honest. I was just sort of waiting there, battling for the hospital. I couldn't... I wasn't allowed to redeploy until I'd had the all clear from the uh, from our sort of our unit doctor. Um, right. So I weren't allowed to go back up up country until I'd had that. And my review was in I think yeah it was in about eight weeks. So I was stuck in Bastion for eight weeks and eight weeks of ruminating, sitting there thinking. That's a big word. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. I know. I'm sticking that one, noting that one down. Thinking. Thinking about what had happened, it was playing on my mind a lot. Plus, I was seeing everything else that was going on up there with yeah. you guys. It was hearing the stories of what was happening up there. Um, I got you. I bet you. So at this point as well, lads are probably filtering back for R and R. Yeah. So they, I was talking to them, seeing them as they were coming in. I was angry, like fucking angry. Like I remember seeing you when I came back from R and R. Actually, would have been October. Yeah. So it probably just before. Oh, it was just before you went back because you yeah. were literally about to go back on the ground. And like, yeah, you were a fucking wound up little cookie. Yeah, I was, I was, I was angry and it playing on my mind a lot. And also, not only that, but in the time that we were down there, we'd lost another guy to yeah. an IED up there as well, which I was part then part of the bearer team for that, where we we put him on on the on the um the plane, the to plane come to, home. to come home, yeah. So there's a lot of a lot of shit. And going I suppose when you were there, like we talked about in the last podcast, the vigils going on. Yeah, it's you attending. So yeah, you there. I know. And like, hey, look, we're not trying to say that that's harder to be at the vigil than it is to be on the ground. Not saying that. However, when you want to be on the ground and you know that's happening, that it could be your mates coming through, then a soldier's instinct is to want to be out, you know, on the on the ground. Uh, and anyone, you either get that or you don't. No. You know, like if you're listening, if you're listening, you get that. You'll be like, fucking right, I want to be on the ground. Oh, there'll be some people listening. There's nothing wrong with this. It's just the way people are different. You'll be like, what the fuck? This sounds mental. But like, take it from me and every other infantry soldier, or almost every infantry soldier I've ever talked to, it, you would not want to be, you do not want to be in Boston. You want to be on the ground getting amongst it with yeah. the boys. That, that's it. You've spent all the time training, building up to this with, with all your guys that's up there. You've been living there, you know, pretty much in each other's fucking back pockets. Yeah. You, they're like your closest people to you, and they're up there scrapping, and and you're I mean, feel worthless. It's the difference between going to 
going to uh, going to the World Cup to be a player or going to the World Cup to be the ball boy, but you don't. You, but you're the reserve ball boy who doesn't even get to be on the sideline of the pitch. Yeah. Um. So you're in Bastion. I think we covered that pretty well. It wasn't a fun time for you. You wanted to get back on the ground. I was um, I was on R and R when you came back, so I didn't. Well, I saw you in Bastion. Like I said, you were you know. Neither we were both moaning fuckers at the time, as is the prerogative of the infantry soldier yeah. to to complain. So, you know, I didn't really notice anything out of the ordinary there. But I'm going to tell this that how I remember the story from my side, um, and then you can you can take it there. So basically, I came home for R and R, which is a it's you get two weeks during at some point during your tour to go back home, um, but the two weeks includes travel, so you usually get about ten days. Uh, usually get about ten days at home, um, and it's not like we could just pick up the phone and call the boys in the patrol base. But obviously, you come home and you don't you don't switch off. You're still thinking about what's going on with the boys and stuff like that. And to be honest, looking back on it now, I wish I'd never had r and I wish I'd just stayed out on, on tour because I, I feel like by the time the... the it, it just... It, and this is just me. Some people will think differently. It just took me out of the zone. Um, it took me out of the zone. I couldn't fully enjoy being home. And I just felt sick about worrying about what was going on with the boys. Uh, and then one day I was at my grand's, uh, my grand's house and I was having a nice cup of tea with my grandma. It should have been a nice day. And then um, I get a text off one of the lads um, who'd heard from the patrol base that my platoon had hit an IED um, and that there was serious casualties involved. Bear in mind by this point, we'd already had, twice we'd had Cat A casualties. So we thought these lads were going to survive because we got them alive onto the helicopter and both of them later died. So there was that was exactly what I was thinking at the time was, well, he's probably going to die. And this, the lad involved was a, a really good friend, um, you know, and it was like, I was trying to have, have a cup of tea with my grandma and I'm thinking, fuck, you know, one of my, one of my really good friends about to die. Um, not to mention the other lads involved. And, f- you know, the feeling that I had there was just, and this I, I suppose is the same as you had in Bastion, I felt like a worthless piece of shit because I'm like, what the fuck am I doing at home right now? And it's like, I was told to go home and I was told to have an hour and hour. It wasn't my decision, but that is not how you think. How I think was, my fucking boys went through this. I'm fucking sitting at home. This is fucking shit. Get me fucking back out there now. Um, now, you were involved in that IED strike. So if you feel comfortable talking about it, talk about what you're comfortable with. Because obviously I, I, I struggled to talk about getting blown up a bit last time. So if you want to gloss over it, I'm quite happy to just give the cliff notes. Yeah, I mean, that was... Uh... If, if if anything that happened to me in Afghanistan, and there was a, a fair bit of it, that <laughs> getting shot through the neck is yeah. a start start of a 10 shot through the neck yeah and then how and this is the thing because like again we have to make jokes about this stuff we have to your nickname was pink mist before yeah. we even got out on the ground because we just had a feeling something was going to go and i maybe it's law of attraction and by us calling you pink mist yeah he literally fucking came into being <laughs> but um yeah, how long had you been back at the patrol base? Oh, what was it? Three days. Three days. So three days back after getting shot in the neck and coming back, coming back from rehabilitation, all that stuff, you get blown up. Yeah, um, and the, believe the, the the weird thing is, a lot of people ask me, "Oh, how does it sort of does it fuck your head and stuff like that?" Then yeah, maybe a little bit, but they when people think that people ask me, "Oh, what sticks in your head the most?" They they always automatically assume that. Oh, you must have been when you got shot. Mm. But it's not. The thing that did stick in my head the most and, and fucked my head the most probably was that being blown up. 
Yeah, I mean, we were both saying last night that we never felt safe in a vehicle no. again after that. After that point, and I didn't up until that point. I I'd always felt pretty safe in um, in the Warrior. Well, it's uh, a sense of security. I mean, you've got this big Warrior armored fighting vehicle, which is a fucking mean looking bit of kit, big lump of steel the size of a planet, with a big fucking gun on top of it. It looks imposing. It is imposing. And the thing is, I you know, in, in Iraq and stuff, I'd seen them shrug off a lot of big hits and stuff like that. And you're thinking like, oh, well, you know, I know things can go badly. But um, the other thing before our tour as well is I don't think anyone had ever died in a, in a warrior did they, no. before our tour. And then, unfortunately, it started to become more of a, a trend and it carried on after our tour as well, which begs some questions about why they were still being used in that yeah. role. But we'll talk about that another I think, day. I think the difference with the IEDs in um, in Iraq to Afghan, obviously you had the the enhanced IEDs in, in Iraq, which were the, the shape charges. Yeah, they get a bit of a, a knock of them, but, uh, and they're deadly, absolutely deadly. But the, yeah. the what I found with the IEDs in, in Afghan is they were fucking huge. Oh, they were, they were just huge. I mean, so the difference between the way the IEDs worked, we should do one, mate, mate, one day we should just do an episode about IEDs because there's so much to talk about. But there's um the... By the time the later tours, like Telic 10 and stuff, 2007, Telic 9, 2006, when there was people getting killed in Warriors was because they were using explosively formed projectiles, which is basically, it was more of a precision weapon. So these things would be angled to the right degree to get the Warrior at its weak spot and it'd penetrate it and pull a lot of force in with it and fuck things up like that. The way the Taliban figured out for, for fucking Obama was they'd make a bunch of homemade explosive from fertilizer and stuff, just make a fucking huge explosion because as we talked on the last podcast, the blast wave itself is deadly. Um, you can you can get hit by a blast wave and die and not have a fucking mark on you because it can rupture your fucking organs and stuff like that. And as far as vehicles go, if you put enough of a blast underneath it, tracks will be broken. And to be honest, if they break a track and disable the warrior, they've kind of, even if no one gets injured or killed, They've done their job for the day because they've just disabled your patrol and you then have to bring in assets and they can then snipe away at you and RPG you and mortar you and stuff like that. So it's just the sheer force of the blast. Yeah. So like you said, I mean, those, um, I'm going to um, put a picture up um, along with this podcast, which will show a size of an IED explosion next to a warrior. And you won't even realize it's a warrior at first because this thing is fucking dwarfed by the size of this explosion, which was actually an IED that was put out for a, um, for a dismount as well for, for people on foot. It wasn't even put out for a warrior. Um, so, yeah, dude, yeah, they're pretty fucking big. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, what, what what happened was with this this incident, we were tasked, uh, there was a foot patrol going out. They were they were going out um, to, 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 you know, just a standard foot patrol. And we were tasked then two warriors to go out and provide overwatch for them. If they got into a bit of shit, we were there to give them, give them some backup. Right. And I remember one, the the other warrior uh, crew, they pushed up under the high ground up to, onto what we used to call FSS. Yeah. FSS, Fire Support Group Hill. Yeah, they pushed up on there for a little bit and they were providing overwatch. And me, our, our vehicle, we sort of skirted round uh, on the low ground, pushing down. And I can remember I had eyes on the patrol. I was watching them because I was gunning at the time. And I can remember seeing two figures coming down the side of Tabletop Hill, which was uh, which was a known enemy location yeah. at the at the time. So I trained a gun onto onto them, and I was just watching them. I couldn't pick out any weapons. I couldn't PID any, Plus any weapons. positive identify. Yeah, I couldn't positively identify any weapons. So I um. 
Because we, we don't, like, contrary to some people's belief, we don't just get to mow people down out there. If you see people, you can tell by the behavior usually if they're an enemy or not, but if they don't have weapons and stuff, you did not, you, you cannot fucking engage them. Yeah, absolutely. And I knew that these two, they were, they were sketchy, you could tell straight yeah, away. Yeah, because it's the way they move, the way they're looking at you. They move tactically. They're moving in bounds. They're poking up and, and looking at you. Because um, what they'll do is they'll have their weapons in a firing point and they'll move around freely without the weapons and then they'll disappear down duck into somewhere and then pop up somewhere and then but they can you know it's imagine you you can walk around basically walk around look at who you're about to shoot at then walk away crawl crawl or go behind the wall or something like that then pop up in another spot and then you go in you've got the exact range and everything it's fucking yeah it's madness and i do think that there was some issues with our rules of engagement there because it was fucking obvious when you were being dicked for an attack because you could just say, you'd be like, there's two blokes over there. We're going to get RPG'd from there in a couple of minutes. Boom, here comes the RPG. You knew who it was. We always knew the difference. Um, but then I suppose, you know, there's the argument that you have to wear on the safe side of caution so that you don't go putting a 30 mil into, uh, you know, if maybe someone's just coming in to go, oh, that's a nice warrior. Yeah. Yeah, like what you've done with the rims. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I knew they were sketchy and I was I was watching them coming down the hill. And as they were coming down, they dropped into a little bit of dead ground and I lost sight of them. So we said to the driver, pull forward slightly, get better eyes on. And literally we we may not have even moved probably less than a meter. And then that's when it happens. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, I, it, I can't even explain how it feels. It was just sort of from. If you, yeah. If you want to hear about IEDs, go back to that first episode we did. Cause we were basically just saying that it's not something that's described was not something that's describable. Yeah, um, I mean, it was just that almighty woomph and uh, everything. Then from from there, it, it was just sort of what 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 the fuck has just happened? Like, you know, yeah. why can't I stand up? Why can't I see anything? Uh, my body, your body's just tingling, this numb. So I had I had literally no feeling. I was just like hunched over in the in the turret, thinking, shit, what has happened? And then it hits you, and you're like, fuck, we've just been blown up. Yeah. Um, you can't see nothing. There's so much dust, smoke, the smell, everything. Yeah, you the just... smell, yeah. Because, I mean, you, your nostrils are full of this dirty, tangy dust. Yeah. And I couldn't feel my legs. I couldn't see my legs because of the dust. Mm. So I was, you know... So you're in the turret you know? at this point. Yeah, still sat slumped in the turret and thinking, fuck, I can't feel my legs. I can't stand up. My legs are gone, sort of thing. So you're trying to feel around. Uh, all I could see was was, was dust and... Yeah, I, I looked down and I, I, I bit a chunk out of my tongue. So there was just blood pouring out of my mouth onto my shirt. So I was like, I, I'm fucked up here. But then, yeah, after about 30 seconds, then it sort of starts coming around. You start it's to feel. Yeah, you can start to feel. You, you get your feeling back, your body, your ears are ringing, your head's pounding. Um, and then you start to think of other things then. Shit, I'm okay. Is everybody else yeah. okay? M- MJ next to me. He'd, he'd hurt his arm as well, quite badly. He, I think he was actually stood up at the time, out of the turret, observing. Lucky he didn't get blown out of the time. Yeah. Fucking sent flying. So he was lucky. And then it hits you then. Who, who takes the brunt of the brunt of the blast? Was the, the drivers. Yeah. So I can remember screaming down, trying to scream down the the, hat, the, 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 the tunnel. H, H, UK, UK, UK. Screaming. Nothing, getting nothing back. Um, uh, and that was it. Then I said, uh, I said to Joy, I said, I got to get up, I got to check, got to check H. Uh, so I climbed up the turret. 
and you just met as soon as you get up the turret, just met with a picture of fucking carnage. Yeah. There was bits of warrior everywhere. We was in a massive crate there. There was dust, smoke, shit think, everywhere. Um, so this is again. Look at a picture of a warrior. Go online now. Look at a picture of a warrior armored fighting vehicle. When you hit an IED, um, after the crater, the front of that warrior will be in the, in the crater. That's how big the craters from these these fucking things are. It's like literally you can just step off onto the ground. So yeah, I sort of started approaching the the turret, really sort of apprehensive. That I mean, the 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 driver's um, the driver's hatch. Sorry, the driver's hatch was just sort of flapping around, and I was still shouting H H H. You okay? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? And getting nothing back. So as I sort of walked down the the, the front of the turret, I was sort of looking in for the driver's hatch, expecting obviously to see the worst. Um, and yeah, I could just see him sort of slumped over, uh, and thinking, fuck, he's, you know, he's obviously you think the worst than him. So I opened the hatch, started talking to him, shaking him. He started coming around a little bit then and, and asked where it was just sort of, it was, yeah, it was, it was horrid because all he wanted to do was get out of that hatch. I was on my own. MJ was hurt in the turret. Um, and he was just sort of trying to get out. And it, it was like, you want to help, you want to do all you can. All you could do is check him over, check his legs are still, he had no, you know, major fucking, major bleeds and stuff like that, check him over. Uh, but then he's trying to get out. All he wants to do is get out. Obviously, he couldn't get out at, at this stage. He, I mean, he, what was it? Yeah, broken back. Broke his fucking back, like yeah. That. Hope you mind us don't talk, um, I hope you don't mind us talking about you, H, but yeah. it's because we fucking love you and you're a big, South African, yeah, and beast. He, yeah, South African beast, and he fuck. In all fairness to him, I haven't said that now. He took out like a fucking trooper when he. When oh, I mate, think, mate, there's a, they, they, there's, they fucking breathe them tough down there, man. When I when I think of the extent of his injuries, what actually what he did sustain, yeah, I'm like, after once he'd come round, he was like, I would have been probably fucking a, 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 a screaming mess, but he was like, yeah, clearly in pain, but you fucking took it like. And he was tell him about the joke. <laughs> What's that? With Emma. What was that? Uh, so um, so it looked like he had a broken pelvis, didn't it? Oh, yeah, so, he had, um, yeah. He had. So, so Emma, Emma the medic, who's absolute fucking, absolute legend, balls of steel, starts feeling feeling around because one of the things you got to do, so we've got a broken pelvis, you've got to feel around the, uh, the asshole yeah. to see if there's feeling there. And uh, she's doing that she's, and she's like... Um, can you can you feel that? He goes, yeah. You're trying to finger my hoop. Yeah, and this guy's yeah. just been blown up and has his back broken, and he's making a fucking joke about getting fingered in the ass. I mean, you can't. That is the that is the epitome of a British soldier. Yeah, fucking legend. Uh, so yeah, that was um, prior prior to before we got to that though, I was I was sort of there on my own for what felt like a fucking eternity because I was trying to get Harris out. Um, I obviously at this stage I didn't realize anything was wrong with his back and stuff like that. He just wanted to get out, and he was saying, "Help me, help me get out, help me get out." So I was trying to pull him out to the hatch. Then um, I pulled him forward. I could see, obviously, then that all his his the back of his his pants had been fucking blown open. Yeah, uh, blood coming out of his 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 ass. Like again, it's just the force of these blast waves will rip open clothing, will rip open body armor. It's funny because it was one of the things we always got taught doing the training was like, oh, you got to cut casualties' clothing off. 
Well, usually a blast fucking does the job for you, doesn't it? Fucking blows. It just uh, just rips rips clothing apart, rips body armor apart. It's I mean, it rips a wire apart. So they, you know, your cheapy fucking trousers it seems have not got much of a chance. Yeah, um, and yeah, he sort of. I could see that he he had he he had sort of blood coming out of his his ass, uh, which is obviously not a good sign. Having said that, we have that quite often after yeah, takeaways. Yeah, <laughs> in, in the block. Chipotle, <laughs> Chipotle away. But yeah, so I said, I said, look, just stay where you are each week for everyone to come over and, and help us. And, and that was when we started getting contacted then. Um, to a small arms fire now. Small arms fire, yeah. Uh, at this stage, I mean, the warrior was, was a fucking write-off. It was, there was no power into it. I couldn't engage back with the with the turret. And I didn't even know. My head was all over the place. So I didn't even know when you I probably, went. It was probably a good thing because you probably would have started putting 30 million to the blokes. But yeah, so I, I was just sort of like, I had no weapon. My, that fuck knows where that even was. All I had was a set of binos, uh, <laughs> which, which I'm not even sure we're in a, a good nick, to be honest. They would be smashed up. Uh, so all I could do was just sit there with each and sort of be like, fuck. Go through the chat about Danish nurses. Yeah, talk to him. It's, but, the, cliche, it's the cliches you see in the movies where you're like, hey, Johnny, you're going to go back. There's going to be pretty nurses. Well, that actually does happen. I don't know if it's because we saw it in movies and we adopt it or what, but that is what you say to people when they're injured. It's like, oh, you're going to go back. Danish pretty nurses. No, I'm not saying there's not British pretty nurses. I'm sure there is. But Danish ones were definitely the, the, the well, flavour of the month, were not it? There's Danish... Exotic, isn't it? And when you haven't seen a woman for months and months and months, you know, it's anyone's anyone's good looking. So yeah, but yeah, I mean, thankfully the 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 guys on the ground, the platoon, I I I think it was one platoon, maybe they dealt with that that contact then, um, which gave us a bit of time uh, for the uh, the other warrior to get down to us, give us a bit of support, and then the. The platoon moved back over to us then, and and we we managed to get Aris out of the 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 driver's arch, and we were, we were sat there waiting for a while then because we couldn't get um we couldn't get a Mert in to come and pick him up uh, originally because the, at the same time this incident happened, there was uh, another incident going on where there was uh, I think about four or five. Yeah, so this is the kind of the now well-known incident where it was the first real green on green, so to speak, where the um, the troops that well, not the troops, a troop in a trooper inside the um, the Afghan National Army turned on his team of uh, British um, mentors and basically fucking gunned them all down in a compound. I think with the PK or something, whatever it was, is fucking brutal. Um, and yeah, really, really fucked. You know, fucked. For those guys up, so that was a massive, a massive incident. Yeah. So, which obviously, you know, I think there was they were there was dead and dying guys there. So obviously, that is the the priority is to get you know to to get them over to those guys. Thankfully, I mean, we had we had M with us, and she was you know I fucking love M. Yeah, Everyone she's, does. She's, she's a fucking hero, man. She should be. She, Emma should have a fucking MC or something. Yeah, man. she should. Because the amount of stuff she's done over the tours is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she was there. Thankfully, she she was putting it through as a cat day. He was a cat day, and he, I mean, he was a go, cat yeah. Day. So okay, let me break this down. So at the time, we had a a three category kind of structure for casualties. So your cat A was your most serious critical casualties. Uh, your cat B was stretcher cases or something. So let's say someone had a broken leg from because you can get breaks and stuff from an ID. So let's say someone got a broken leg or broken ankle and ID. That would be a cat B. 
And you can't see as you're basically, you're walking wounded, which is, you know, because you can get shot through an arm or something like that. And, you know, it's not massive, massive dramas. And you can wait a long time to get evacuated if you need to. Um, the, and the the rule is basically that for a, a cat A is that you get evacuated within what's called the golden hour. Because after that first hour, the chances of survival go fucking low as fuck if you don't get a critical casualty up. So a cat A casualty, or sorry, what I should say is H as someone with a broken back, bleeding out of his arsehole, which would be indicative of some kind of internal injuries. Um, that is about as cat A as you fucking get. So there's no way. And so please, so carry on me. Yeah, so they was, I think, I'm not sure the the, the whole kerfuffle with it, but the, I think they were trying back in Bastion to... Oh, Muscala. Well, or try and get him to sort of downgrade to a cat B. Yeah. Was that from Musicala or was that coming from Bastion? I think from Bastion, yeah, because obviously the incident was going on, they didn't have enough sort right. of moots. Yeah, and here's the thing, is like the moots, like we said, we fucking love, love the moot and everything like that, so this is not a dig at them at all, but the fact is there should have been more yeah. in theatre, um, and I imagine that's because we didn't have enough airframes, we didn't have enough trained people in those, because like, again, we're not talking about Joe Bloggs doing this job, we're talking about the best in the world, and I don't know if there was enough of us to go around or what, We'd have this thing in Afghanistan called patrol minimize. So, like, let's say one unit went out because, you know, you got different units all over the place. So let's say one battle group went out and they had an ID strike and they got some Cat A casualties. Whatever patrols everybody else had planned for that day then get cancelled, basically, because we don't want, or say we, the hierarchy, don't want um, people out on the ground in case another incident happens because it's an acknowledgement that we didn't have the fucking shit to deal with multiple incidents. Uh, which is fucking bonkers because basically it means that the Taliban had one hit on a day, then they could basically shut down the entire operations for Helmand for, for the day by by taking out, by causing one set of casualties somewhere, you can basically t- shut down. Yeah. Uh, and I want to have a little rant about this. I'm going to go on my angry veterans rant here. Cool for it. My fucking angry veteran rant of the day is that um, I was very privileged to work on a book called No Way Out um, with Major Adam Jowett, which told the story about Easy Company in Moscow in 2006. Um, if you're interested in learning more about it, then go to my uh, social media at GIJ Books or just search on Amazon or anywhere like that for No Way Out by Major Adam Jowett. Their story is fucking insane. Um, and I'm not going to go into it, but what I will say is in 2006, they had the same problem where there was one cat a casualty in Sangin and there was a cat a casualty in Musakala. And it was, they didn't have, you know, instead of having separate entities to go to both incidents at once they had to prioritize about who was going to get picked up from where and everything like that uh, and i think it's fucking disgusting that three years later we were still in the same position now that is absolute bollocks yeah. like there is like i'm fucking right i'm going i'm going deep i'm going angry right right it's, it's fucking bollocks three years later you have not rectified the fucking problem about picking up multiple fucking catty casualties at once. that is a fucking joke and it's not a joke because people fucking die so Get your fucking shit sorted out. If you're in a position of making calls and stuff like that, if you're going to put blokes out on the ground, do your end of the fucking deal and get the fucking equipment in place, get the teams in place to pick them up when they get injured. They shouldn't be waiting fucking outside of that golden hour when their chances go through the wall. They're doing their fucking job on the ground. Do your fucking job. Get them the fucking kit. Angry veteran out. And out. Yeah, just one on that as well. I mean, not just from a helicopter point, point of view, but from anything. Like we were so fucking under-resourced. Look at the size of our AO in Musakala. So, AO, area of, op- area of operations, right? Yeah, the area we were responsible for. How many How many guys do we have in, in Musakala? In, I mean, our- so there's a battle group. For battle group Northwest, there was a battle group. But, like, let's be honest. Between us and Musakala, which was, what, a few miles? Yeah. There was no 
other troops in the middle of that, so they could come and go as they wanted. Basically, in Afghanistan, if it wasn't, if you couldn't watch it constantly, you had IDs. Yeah. And what we could watch constantly was fuck all, basically. Yeah. Um, we didn't have enough troops to do the job. Is 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 bottom line. And then equipment. We were talking about this yesterday. You know, again, we've been in fucking Afghanistan by this point for three years. We've been in Iraq for six fucking years, and we've only got one tourniquet for each person. Now, a tourniquet is something that goes around your limb if it gets blown off or badly injured and you have a catastrophic bleed, which will kill you in minutes, if that. Um, so you're supposed to have these tourniquets to put on a person so that you can stem the flow of the loss of blood because loss of blood is like the, the biggest killer in that initial kind of that moment, right? So you'd think a person has four fucking limbs, you'd think they'd have four tourniquets. We had one, right? So what does that mean? It means if someone is fucked up and all four of their limbs are bleeding, which could fucking happen very fucking possibly with an ID. that means that their own tourniquet which has probably actually been lost in the ID anyway so let's say but let's say you three other people then have to give up their fucking tourniquets to go on this person what happens then if one of those people is a fucking casualty because you could have a secondary device that goes off I've gone in back into another fucking angry veterans right here because this is fucking bollocks this is six years after we went into fucking Iraq three years after we've been in Helmand province how the fuck is there only one tourniquet per person how is there one fucking field dressing per person there's one team medic pack between eight people it should be minimum of one between every four it is fucking bollocks if you're fucking listening and i doubt you will be because you're a fucking cunt and you have no fucking interest in looking after your blokes why would you want to fucking know about them you are a fucking criminal you are a fucking criminal for putting blokes on the ground and not giving them the right kit fuck off yeah sorry mate no i agree it, it, it's, it's right mate oh, i want to go and fucking jump on someone's throat yeah Fucking pissed off, mate. Fucking pisses me off, mate. We're talking about lads' lives. Families ruined. The rest of the, the, that... Fa- you think a fucking family's ever going to recover after someone passes away? No. And it's because some fucking dick who's balancing a fucking book or something would rather go out and buy new fucking chairs for the offices in fucking Whitehall than get fucking torn case. Get fucked. Yeah, I agree, mate. Take over, mate. I'm <laughs> and yeah, but anyway, going back to going back to that incident with um, with the IED and, uh, and H... Um, yeah, so they were they were pushing, I think, Emma to try and try and change her mind that he should be a category B um, casualty, not category A. Uh, obviously, Emma was was the medic on the ground. It, it was her call to make, and she fucking made the right call by fucking right by all means. So, yeah, we we had we had a bit of a bit of a wait then trying to get the, the helicopter in, but it, it finally got in, um, and it, it it got got Harris up to there. Thank, 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 fuck. Yeah, and like um, Aris now, he's medically discharged from the army. Don't mind, I don't think you mind us saying this. If you do, age, tell me, and then I'll just say please quick keep it because I don't know how to edit. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, Aris a fucking legend, man, and like he is everything that I love about British soldiers, mate. He was a fucking gleaming bloke, strong as an ox. Like didn't complain about anything. Like I remember it was. Um, Around Christmas time, he was in hospital and he sent us out like a little photo. Every sent photos out to us of a photo of him with like giving it thumbs up from his uh, bed. And on the back of each one was a personalized insult. Yeah. And that was the best Christmas card I think I've ever had. Yeah, yeah I still got mine. I've still got, I've still got my mate. It's covered in spunk by now, but yeah. you know, Harris is sexy <laughs> bastard. <laughs> he is. <laughs> He is Thinking about man. thumb at my hoop, I was. <laughs> he's all man. He is. He is all. He is all man. Mrs. Harris, you're a lucky lady. Yeah, you got a kid now as well. Yeah, he's so. doing well, mate. It's it's good. And but yeah, I mean that 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 incident, like I said, it. I remember sort of going back afterwards to 
But when we, we got extracted, because I was still on the ground for quite a while afterwards with the vehicle waiting for us. To yeah, go. because you don't get to, when these vehicles are like blown up and that, you don't get to just fucking leave them there and go home. The, uh, it needs to be recovered. It needs to be taken back to the base. And that operation itself is f- quite often they'll go overnight into the morning and stuff, isn't it? Like this, it's a long fucking work. And there are people, um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done making sure that there's no IDs around there. Then the, uh, the Remy guys, the Royal Electrical Mechanical Engineers, they come in and do their fucking hard graft of, of getting it out there. And you know, there's security that needs to be pulled because Terry, Terry Taliban is still sitting around there somewhere trying to pop off at you. It's, it's fucking a dangerous, intense, real. I mean, it's it's a fucking lick out, yeah. basically. And it, yeah, so I was we were still on the ground for a, a couple of hours afterwards, waiting to get the vehicle towed back to back to camp. And I was, f- if I'm honest, in fucking pain. I was hurt, and like mm-hmm. oh, my whole body was just it, well. It felt like I'd been blown up. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, funny it, that, isn't it? Funny how your body aches after like we we we, we, we you and me were in shit today after going to the gym for forty minutes earlier. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like we were saying before, um, if you look at these lads in international rugby games, well, not even international, it's rugby games, you see a lad take a big hit and you see him go wobbling off and stuff like that. Well, that's pretty much what happens when a fucking huge, giant fucking explosion goes off underneath you. Um, you, you you're probably going to be a bit wonky. Your joints are going to be a bit on the, a bit on the sore side. It takes a bit of recovering from. Hmm. And um, yeah, there was not really much I could do but just sit there waiting for the the the, the truck, the the tow truck to come and get us, the Remy to come out and, and and extract the vehicle back to camp. And yeah, it was playing on my mind. I mean, I didn't really know what the fuck had happened to Aris, whether he was okay. I mean, I think I think all of us were were probably at the we preparing for the worst, weren't we? Yeah, I and I was and. I just, yeah, sort of ruminating again, just sitting in the back of the vehicle waiting for us to be extracted and just thinking, fuck, what's happened? Is he okay? Mm. And then replaying over and over again in my head what had just happened. Yeah. Thinking, and I just kept picturing his face in in my head asking me to get him out to the, the driver's hatch and just being basically fucking helpless and yeah. Like I can't, I can't help you. There's nothing I can do. Like, yeah. Would you just I mean, and, and this is the this is not some stranger. This is you know, he's one of the best lads in the company, and he's you know, like I, don't, I never heard anyone say a bad word about Aris. Great bloke, you know, a fucking you know friend. I was in Iraq with him, you know, here off there was one of the you know lads like him is the reason I had to come back to do the Afghan tour with with a company because of you know lads like lads like H. Um, yeah, man. So. That's that's it, blown up. Let's just uh, let's let's hit on one more thing about Afghan before we uh, we take this baby home. So um, let's talk about let's talk about something that is on everybody's mind, and that is uh, sex with donkeys. All right, sex with donkeys. Now, I have to cover this topic because there are people out there. If I was to go into certain areas and then say, oh, you know what, I'm not sure about some of the cultural decisions in Afghanistan because I'm not on board with having sex with donkeys. They would call me a fucking racist and a bigger and everything like that. Well, fuck you, because we've seen somebody have sex with a donkey. And it wasn't in Tijuana, Mexico. It was in Muscala, Afghanistan. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah, I remember. I remember seeing the video of it. Um, yeah. I thought I was wondering where he was going with that. And I thought, bloody hell, he's caught me. Um, I was just about to whip my dick out and say, yeah, check out this. <laughs> but yeah, I remember, I remember seeing the video of it. And I, I mean, it's just surreal. Uh, I don't even know. I don't even know where to get started on it, to be honest. It's... 
Well, you can put your erection away for a start. <laughs> I mean, well, in Wales, we got sheep. Exactly. exactly. Go My go. editor in the book she asked me the other day, she said, well, what's your sex with donkeys? I'm like, people have sex with donkeys. That's a real thing. I've never yeah. seen a Welshman have sex with a sheep. I have seen people have sex with a donkey. It's fucking madness. And I, it makes you ask questions about... Um, we were talking the other day about, like, repression. Like, so well, the reason we're going to bring this up is we were talking about... You know, when when we were in Afghanistan, there was a big thing about fucking haircuts and shaving and like real like fucking points that you're just like, what did what difference does this make? Now there are some people out there, and I get where they're coming from, so I'm going to give the balanced argument here, or as much as I want. It was my fucking podcast, say what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an argument to be made that if you let some things start going with discipline, then it's a slippery slope, and other start, stuff can start happening. I do agree with that to an extent. Um, however, I also, I'm a big proponent of the theory that if you treat people like adults, they will act like adults. So let's say like you're living in Afghanistan, right? You're living in a patrol base. You eat what you're given in a fucking ration box. You leave the area to go where you fucking are told and you can't leave a track or anything like that. You're basically in prison, except you probably actually have conditions a lot worse than the fucking prison. So you can't, you know, you can't break track or anything like that. So you can walk where you're told you can walk. You eat where you're told you eat. You, t- you you know you you're told what time you can sleep, which is isn't much or anything like that. You're told told how to do this, how to do that. There's not many choices that you have in your life, right? Now, one thing that you might feel like you have a bit of control over is your facial hair, or and it's just a it's a bit of morale for the boys. It sounds like such a silly thing now, but at the time, letting somebody grow a bit of set tall sideburns or a tall tash or a tall beard, that can mean the difference between a lad being happy. And miserable. Um, You have to look at this as a leader and say, is it that much of a bigger deal for me to just let these lads have big sideburns? It sounds ridiculous. I know it fucking does. But you make your lads happy. These lads have got to go out every day and risk fucking being blown apart. Doesn't matter how long your fucking sideburns are if you stand on an IED. No. All the locals, by the way, are cutting around with massive beards. Right, so it's not like we're blending in with the local populace by being clean shaven. They're seeing clean shaven white faces. Do you know the last time they saw clean shaven white faces when the Russian army were raping their fucking aunties and mums? And that's not a fucking lie. We had an interpreter with us who was a white lad. He was white because and I'm not laughing about the rape. I'm laughing about the fact that he was white because he went to get on a helicopter once in Musakala and they wouldn't let him on because he didn't have a weapon. They they, they didn't believe that he was an interpreter because he was a white lad. And that was because his mum was raped by a fucking Russian. And that's so are we wanting to connect ourselves with that? So this argue, argument that it's like that you know that there's it, it was better for morale and everything or, or discipline and stuff. I don't fucking buy it. I've never come across anyone bought it. This idea that we would have started raping and pillaging if we'd have been allowed to have fucking sideburns is ridiculous. Basically, what you are saying when you say that is you're saying that the British infantry soldier or British soldier in general is a cunt and that he can't be trusted to be allowed to make one little decision himself because if he does, then everything's going to go to shit. That is what you are fucking saying when you when you, when you you put those kind of um, rules onto things. What, what's your thoughts on that, mate? No, I agree. I mean, there's there's little things in it, like sideburns maybe a little bit of a... A battle bouffant or a little, little like a morale patch on your sleeve. Yeah, there's just little. Like when you what they got to understand is when you're in a place like that, it's, you need something to to hold on to. Yeah, I mean, and it's a laugh because it's like you can have it's a it's a competition between each other. It's like and it's like oh, mate, like, check out. It's, it's a bit of fucking crack between the boys. 
I mean, I don't see the I don't see the issue with it. I, I don't see the issue ever. I've never come across it. If anybody wants to debate this, and that's a great point, then please send it into go fuck yourself. I'm not interested. We won't sideburns. Yeah. I mean, if if guys are going out on patrol in fucking shorts and flip flops, then fair enough. And we, and like and this is the thing. It's all about screwing the fucking nut. Um, me me and uh, me and Alex were saying uh, last night. You know what? If if you're in a leadership position, what we uh, we recommend on this is you say to the boys, "Look, lads, I know you're in a fucking difficult position out here. We're asking you to go out every day and fucking risk IDs and stuff. You know what? We're gonna t- we're gonna take the flack from the from f- if if we get flack off the bigger deal, or whatever. I'm gonna soak it up for you boys because you boys are realistically you're, you're fighting and dying for this company. So I'm gonna fucking fight." On a fucking about a set of fucking sideburns, and here's the thing, boys. If I come around and snap inspect your weapons, and your weapons are in fucking shit state, not only are your fucking sides going, but you're gonna fucking do stag until your eyeballs bleed. And I'm gonna fucking run you ragged, right? If on the other hand you screwed the nut and your weapons are squared away and your kit is squared away and your drills are squared away, then I'm gonna let you have some fucking leeway too. That's what fucking leadership is, mate. Leadership is not. Leadership is not taking everything that's from above you and shoving it down your boy's throat. If you're a leader, you are there to be an umbrella for your fucking boys. You are there to look after your boys. You have to read the mood of your company. You have to read the mood of your platoon, of your section, of your fire team. You know, after you have to know when to give it the fucking when to give it the iron kind of like the iron um, fist, and you have to know when to give the boys a little bit of fucking leeway because when they're seeing their fucking mates die and they're worried about dying themselves. Little fucking, a little thing can make all the fucking difference. And it does. Look, look, you think how things are blown up into fucking massive proportions out there. Yeah. And, like listening to your iPod, you lose your iPod, then oh, the, this is the fucking end of the world. All right, let, let me tell you how it felt from, from a point of a junior rank. We literally felt like what was more important in our commander's minds, and when a commander, I'm not talking about our platoon commander because he was a legend, but our commanders at large in the British Army, we felt, that what was more important to them was how our hair and our sideburns and our facial hair was cut rather than what medical equipment we got, rather than what, um, like, helicopters we got, rather than what like uh, than, than the fact that we were dealing with IEDs on a daily basis. We felt like they were prioritising our appearance over basically giving us the tools to do our job and the tools to get home alive. That is how we felt. Now... You can say, if you're in one of those leadership positions, you can say and argue the other way. Doesn't matter. If the fucking message isn't coming to the troops, you have failed in your leadership. And, you know, we saw failed leadership over there a lot. We saw some fucking great leadership too at a more junior level. But I think I'm, I very rarely come across lads who, uh, uh, who came away impressed with the overall hierarchy of the place. Now, as we said, it's the soldier's prerogative to complain. Yeah. We are probably blowing some things out of proportion. But I think we're making some valid points as well. Um, and on that note, because um, I'm always right. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm always right anyway, so fuck all of you. Um, let's, let's wrap that up for the day. I just want to do a little bit of housekeeping before we go. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. Really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. Um, if you want to connect with me on social media, my personal accounts are at GRJBooks. That's one word. And that's on Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Um, just or just search for Garen Jones. We've also got the Veteran State of Mind. So if you search for at Veteran State of Mind, that will bring you up on all the spots. Uh, if we're watching on the video, I've got a couple of books in front of me now. I'm going to hold up to the camera. One is Siege. The other is Blood Forest. These are both written by myself. Um, I think they're awesome. So please, if you want to support the podcast, a good way of doing that is by supporting my books. 
buying for a present from your dad, buying for the present for your cat, anything like that. There's lots of, uh, well, basically, if you've enjoyed what we're talking about here, which is soldiers moaning and people getting fucked up and killing the enemy, then you'll enjoy the books. Alex, you've read them. What do you reckon? Yeah, good. Uh, brilliant books. Uh, I love the I loved the first one. I haven't started on the, the second one yet, but I'm looking forward to it. You can have this one, mate, because mm. I love you. All right, guys, thanks very much for tuning in. This was Veteran State of Mind. Catch you next time.